uh, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in today called Sent. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and grab it and go to John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14. Uh, many of you know that I'm a dad to two little girls, Rowan who is six and Selah who is three. And every day I am fascinated by how different they are. Uh, Selah, our youngest, she's our more carefree, laid back child. She's a little comedian, loves to make people laugh. And she's also the type, like if she can't do something, she's usually willing to either ask for or at the very least accept your help. Rowan is entirely the opposite. Uh, she's our fiery child. She is very stubborn. She is very passionate, very strong-willed. I have no idea where she gets it from. I blame her mom. Those of you who know me know exactly where she gets it from. But she's the type of kid that if she can't do something, instead of asking for help or accepting it, she melts down. I'll give you an example of this. A few weeks ago, we bought Rowan some new shoes because kids' feet apparently grow overnight. You know, like the shoes that fit Monday don't fit Tuesday. So we had to buy some new shoes. And, and the shoes we bought her had these really fat laces. And so the first time she put them on, she sat down and and she's trying to tie them, and she can't. And she's getting so frustrated. And so my wife comes over and says, Rowan, let me help you tie the shoes. And instead of accepting help, Rowan starts crying, and she starts screaming. And she says, I can't tie these shoes, and you can't tie these shoes, and nobody can tie these shoes. I'm not wearing these shoes. Like, that's my girl. She gets angry at her inability and because she's only six years old, she often lives life very frustrated and overwhelmed. Look, I have to imagine that at this point in this series, some of us feel that way. Over the last few weeks, we've learned that 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe sent his son Jesus into this world as a missionary to save his people. And now Jesus, our Savior, sends us as his people back into the world for that same mission. Like the purpose of your entire life, if you know Christ, is to pursue people who are far from God with the hope and love of Jesus that you might help them know and follow him. But as we learned last week, that's not a mission you accomplish in isolation. It's a mission that requires us as, as Christ followers to commit our lives to one another in very selfless, humble ways. And so if you've listened to all that over the last few weeks and, and you felt like my daughter, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. That sounds impossible. I want to say to you today, you're right. You're right. Everything we've talked about is entirely impossible if you attempt to walk in your own power and your own strength. Like if you think that accomplishing the mission of God is something that you can do through hard work or sheer resolve, you will walk through life angry, frustrated, and overwhelmed. But here's the great news, and please don't miss this. Jesus never intended for you to feel that way, which is why he sent the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's the big truth and the big idea of today's message. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower us for mission. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower us for mission. Now, I don't know what your experience with the Holy Spirit has been. You know, if you're not someone who grew up in church, you might be wondering what in the world we're even talking about when we say the Holy Spirit. Well, stay with me today. It should make sense before we're done. But if you grew up like I did in church, again, I don't know what your experience has been 
Uh, I grew up in a very conservative church that was part of a denomination that rarely talked about the Holy Spirit. And anytime the Holy Spirit did come up in conversation, people would get nervous. And they would often say things like, hey, be careful. Don't get too carried away with all that Holy Spirit stuff. And, and listen, I get it to a point. There are some people out there that do some really weird things all in the name of the Holy Spirit. But you need to know those people would be weird without the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird, okay? But... But in the church that I grew up in, in churches like them, the reflex to the weird is often to neglect or totally disregard the Spirit of God altogether, which is heartbreaking and unnecessary and highly unfortunate because according to the Scriptures, it is impossible to live the Christian life and it is impossible to accomplish the mission of God without the help and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you how this is true today from John chapters 14 through 16. So if you're there with me, we're going to pick up and start reading in a moment in verse 1 of chapter 14. But before we do, I want to set the context for us so that this makes sense, okay? At this point in the book of John, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. A few days after the cross, he would rise from the dead. Uh, about 40 days later, he would ascend back into heaven. And this is the news Jesus is breaking to his disciples. Guys, I know you've given up a lot to follow me. You've left behind homes and families and careers. For the last three years, you've devoted your lives to me and my ministry. Well, you need to know tomorrow I'm dying, and then a short time later, I'm leaving. If you've ever had to say goodbye to someone that you love, you know how difficult a moment like this can be, right? And so I imagine the disciples are probably overwhelmed with emotion. They are sad. They're worried. Uh, they have no idea how they're going to face life without Jesus by their side. And so out of his great love for them, he begins to comfort them. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, we'll stop there and talk for a minute. Uh, in these verses, Jesus is using imagery that would have been familiar to the disciples. You see, in this culture, when a man got engaged to a woman, the man would typically go away for a short time and he would prepare a place for he and his future bride to live. And that place was typically a room attached to his father's house. And then after the room was ready, he would come back and, and get his girl and they would live happily ever after. Right? That's the picture Jesus is painting here. He's saying to the disciples, yes, I am going away, but only temporarily. Guys, I'm just leaving to go get a place ready for you. That place, it's in my father's house. And after it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you. And then we're going to be together again. And then Jesus says this. By the way, fellas, you know the way to where I'm going. Well, Thomas, who's one of the disciples, he's famously known as, you know, the doubting disciple. Uh, he was apparently very confused by this. And so he speaks up and asks Jesus, how do we know the way to where you're going we don't even know the place to where you're going. And then in verse 6, Jesus makes a very exclusive claim about himself to answer Thomas's question. Look at it. Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the way. 
I'm the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus says back to Thomas, Thomas, I'm going to that place where the Father is. And if you want to get to that place, the only way to get there is through me. I, I am the way to God. I'm not one of many ways. I'm the only way. I'm the truth about God, not one of many truths, the only truth. I'm the only one who can give you eternal life with God the Father. So if you want to get to that place where he is, you have to go through me. Now, I want to stop for a moment and talk to those of you in the room who are newer to church. Maybe you're here today as a skeptic, someone exploring Christianity, and you have wondered at times, why are those Christians so arrogant to think that they're right and everybody else is wrong? That there's one way to God, that is through Jesus, that there are no other ways. Well, to answer your question, this is why. Because that's what Jesus claimed about himself. And then he did something that no one else in history has ever done to authenticate his claim. He died and three days later rose from the dead. You see, when it comes down to it, you can believe whatever you want to believe about God, about Jesus, about eternity and the way to get there. As Christians, we just choose to believe that if a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and pull the whole thing off, we might want to listen. Like if that guy says that he's the only way to God, we're just going to go with that. Amen? And we pray that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you would. Because again, according to him, he is the way. Now, further down in the passage, Jesus continues to comfort his disciples. Look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is incredible. Jesus says to his guys, look, even though I'm leaving, if you will have faith in me and keep believing in me, You'll not only do the works that I've been doing, but you'll do even greater works than I did while I was here with you. Now, I need you to understand what Jesus is getting at here because there are some disagreements in the church world as to what he meant. Uh, I, I believe that in no way Jesus was suggesting that if you and I have enough faith in him that we'll pull off more miraculous supernatural works than he did. Uh, there are some people out there that suggest that. If you have enough faith in Jesus, you'll do even greater miracles than Jesus did. Well, last time I checked, uh, nobody's walked on water yet. Last time I checked, nobody has fed over 5,000 people with a little kid's Lunchable. Right? <laughs> Nobody has died and risen from the dead on their own three days later. Am I right? And so I, I don't believe that's what Jesus is getting at at all. What do I believe? What do we believe here at Crosspoint? That Jesus was saying this. If you have enough faith in me and you keep believing in me, you'll accomplish more for the mission of God than I ever accomplished while I was here with you. Disciples, as you go out into the world, you're going to see more people come to faith than you've ever seen before. You're going to see more people enter the kingdom of God than ever entered the kingdom while I was here on the earth. And we start to see that promise play out in the book of Acts, don't we? I mean, it's believed when Jesus went to the cross, he only had about 120 followers. Yet 50 days later on Pentecost, 
when the Holy Spirit of God was poured out on his sons and daughters and those tongues of fire fell and people are getting up and proclaiming the message of God and and Peter finally stands up and preaches one of the most famous gospel messages in the history of the world. 3,000 people come to faith in one day. And I have to imagine that in that moment, the disciples may have thought back to this moment and went, oh, that's what Jesus meant. That whole greater, this is what he was talking about. Yes and amen. Look what just happened before our very eyes. Now, why would this be the case? Why did Jesus say that you'll do greater works than I did? Well, because as he says in the passage, it's all because I'm going to the Father. You're going to do greater things than me because I'm going to the Father. And then Jesus clarifies that statement with his next statement. This is fascinating to me. He tells the disciples that even though he's leaving, he will still hear them from where he is. This is un, I mean, it's incredible to think about and process this with me. Guys, even though we're not going to be physically together any longer, uh, you can still talk to me and I'll hear you and I'll listen to you and I'll respond to the very things that you ask for. You know what's more incredible to me than that? That the same thing is still true for us today. And I believe as the people of God, this should change the way we approach prayer. To know that right now in this moment, the resurrected, ascended Jesus is on his throne in heaven at the right hand of God. And every time we cry out and call upon him, he is bending his ear in our direction. Oh man, those people at Crosspoint are talking to me. Oh, I wonder what they're saying. I'm going to listen in. And oh, they're asking me for some pretty amazing things. I'm going to show up and I'm going to move and respond and work on their behalf. This is what Jesus does. And he tells the disciples, this is what I'm going to do. I'll still hear you from where I am. And whatever you ask for in my name, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, you need to know that is not Jesus teaching name it and claim it theology there. Jesus was not saying to his guys, hey, look, uh, while you're waiting on me to get situated, why don't you go ahead and make a list? Like, what do you want? What do you want? People at Crossbow, what do you want? Uh, You want a bigger house? You want a nicer car? Spouse who appreciates you? Kids who obey you? Better paying job? Like, what do you want? Make your list. Sign my name at the bottom. I'll do it for you. That's not what he's teaching here. That's bad theology, by the way. When Jesus teaches us to pray in his name, he's getting at something Way different than that. You see, the name of Jesus is meant to reveal his character. So in other words, his name is directly tied to all that he is and all that he's capable of. His lordship, his sovereignty, his power, his salvation, his ability to redeem. And so when you and I pray in the name of Jesus, it's not a cute little tag to our prayers. It's not an incantation that we are invoking into our prayers. To pray in the name of Jesus means that we ask Jesus to do things on our behalf that put his character and his nature on display to the world. It's us saying to Jesus, would you show up and do things that are impossible for us so that God the Father is glorified through what you've just done? Jesus says, look, if you'll pray that way and you'll ask me for that kind of stuff, well, I'll do that for you every single time. Now, as if those promises weren't already comforting enough. I mean, can we all agree? That's some incredible stuff, isn't it? Amen. As if that wasn't comforting enough, Jesus goes on in verses 16 and 17 to offer his guys the ultimate comfort. Look at what he says. He continues and says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's the promise. He says, guys, after I leave, I'm going to send you another helper. That word helper there, it's the Greek word parakletos, and it simply means one who comes alongside. One who comes alongside to support, to encourage, to strengthen, to empower, to advocate, right? You name it. Up until this point, Jesus had been doing all those things for the disciples, and now they're probably wondering, who's going to do this stuff for us if he's leaving? And Jesus says, don't worry. After I leave, another helper is on the way. He's another helper just like me, and he's going to do the very same things for you that I have been doing. The only difference is this. This helper isn't going to come and simply walk beside you. He's going to come and live inside your bodies. Now listen, for those of you in the room who know Jesus Christ today, I want to stop here and ask a very, very important question. How does it make you feel to know that the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, how does it make you feel to know that that spirit lives inside your body right now in this moment, offering you all the help and power you need to be the person God created you and saved you to be? Here's why I ask. Because I assume at times in churches like ours that some of us believe that living the Christian life and accomplishing the mission of God would be so much easier if Jesus were here with us in the flesh. I mean, think about it, right? We'd never be tempted to sin because he'd be there watching. I know what you're thinking about doing. Don't do it, right? It'd be so easy to witness, like all those friends and family members we've been arguing with for all these years. Like, no more arguing. It's just, hey, Jesus, come meet some people. Show them those nail marks. Show them the bar. Hey, I told you I wasn't lying to you. Here he is, right? And so, again, some of us probably assume that the disciples had it better because they had Jesus. And today we got the short end of the stick because all we got is the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you, if that's you, Jesus says something much differently. Jesus says that we have it better today. That it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us than it is to have him here in the flesh walking beside us. And I want to prove it to you. Look at John 16, verses 6 and 7. He goes on and says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he tells his guys, look, I know you're sad. I know you're overwhelmed. You're wondering what life is going to be like without me here. But I just need you to know it's better for you that I go. Like my leaving is advantageous. Because if I don't leave, the helper won't come. But if I leave, I'm going to send him, and that helper is going to come and live inside your bodies. So why did Jesus believe that was better? That it would be better for us to have the spirit inside of us than to have him here walking beside us. Well, the answer is pretty simple and it's actually very logical. When Jesus was here on the earth in the flesh, he could only be in one place at one time helping so many people. 
you know, while he was fully God, he was also fully man, so he was limited in some ways. What Jesus makes very clear, and we'll see this in a moment, what he makes very clear in John chapters 14 through 16 is that when the Holy Spirit came, there would be no limits. No limits to his presence, no limits to his power, but instead the very Spirit of God would fill every single follower of Jesus Christ over the entire world all at the same time, giving us all that we needed to follow Jesus and accomplish the mission of God in our world, which my friends... That's why we cannot discount the Holy Spirit. It's why we can't neglect him. It's why we can't forsake him. It's why we can't be one of those churches that treat the Holy Spirit like he's that crazy weird uncle who always shows up to the family gatherings uninvited and just wrecks the party. Like I know there are churches out there like that. We cannot be one of those churches. We need the Holy Spirit of God. In the Holy Spirit is help. In the Holy Spirit is power. He is the only one who can enable us to do what God has called us to do. And so the question is, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Like as you and I move out into the world on mission each day, how does he help us and how does he empower us? Well, in John chapters 14 through 16, when you pay close attention, you find Jesus teaching about five distinct ways the Holy Spirit helps And I want to show these to you, all right? So if you're taking notes, you can get ready to write this stuff down. Number one, the Spirit reminds. He reminds. All these verses that we're going to read, this is still Jesus speaking to the disciples. Same conversation, okay? So he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The idea of this verse is not that the Holy Spirit would come and replace Jesus as teacher. Jesus isn't saying that the Holy Spirit would teach new truths in addition to what Jesus already taught. And it's really important that you hear me say that. Uh, There are no new divine revelations coming from God today. And you can get yourself in a whole lot of trouble if you believe otherwise. And there are people out there that will say things like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit told me, and whatever comes out of their mouth completely contradicts the word of God. And so you can know when somebody says something in the name of the Holy Spirit that contradicts the scriptures, uh, a spirit was probably speaking through them, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Like he's not going to say anything that contradicts what has already been taught in this book. The best way to think of the Holy Spirit is like a prompter. You know what a prompter is, right? Uh, The Holy Spirit, all he does is recalls for us the teachings of Jesus, and he puts those teachings in front of us so that we can follow and obey them. And I would bet that some of you, and you may not have even realized this is what was happening in your life, but I would bet that many of you have experienced this. So for example, let's say there's a difficult person in your life, and while you're tempted to uh, harbor bitterness and anger and resentment against them, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this thought crosses your mind, hey, you should love and pray for your enemies. You should forgive those who've sinned against you. Um, Don't store up anger in your heart toward another brother because if you do that, you are as guilty uh, as the murderer. You know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit of God recalling the teachings of Jesus and calling you to obey them. Let's say you hear about someone who's in need and even though you have your own needs and you got your own bills to pay, uh, as you're thinking about that person, again, these thoughts start to cross your mind. Hey, you should feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and invite in the stranger. Don't withhold from those who beg from you. Again, who is that? 
It's the Holy Spirit of God reminding you of what Jesus already taught so that you can follow and obey those teachings. The Holy Spirit reminds. Uh, Next, the Holy Spirit testifies. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus is teaching here that the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for revealing Jesus to the world. And how does the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to the world? Yeah, I think I just heard it through you and me, through us as his people, right? This is the point that he's getting at in verse 27 of this same chapter. Jesus says to the disciples, the Holy Spirit's gonna bear witness about me, but by the way, you're gonna bear witness about me too. He's teaching there that the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal Jesus to the world independently of us. So it's not like the Spirit of God is just floating around out there in the atmosphere, turning people's eyes and attention toward Jesus. It's not how it works. No, instead, you and I are the means by which the Spirit accomplishes his mission of revealing Jesus to people, which is why it's so important for you and I to walk in surrender to and dependency upon the Holy Spirit each day. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, if you will. Missional success does not depend on your strength, but on your surrender. Let me just say it again. Missional success does not depend on your strength, but on your surrender. You see, you revealing Jesus to people who live with you, work with you, whatever, it's not dependent on how hard you work or how much effort you put in. And at times you do have to work hard and put a lot of effort in. But ultimately, Jesus being revealed to the world around you, it hangs entirely upon how surrendered you are to the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're not surrendered to him, walking in step with him, your life will fail to serve its purpose. But if you're that person who gets out of bed every day and you throw your hands up yet again and you hit your knees and you go, all right, I'm surrendering again. I mean, I know I surrendered like 18 times yesterday, but here I am, I'm I'm surrendering again. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, immerse me. Holy Spirit, take over today. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is able to go to work in and through your life and to present Jesus to the world. That's what he does. He testifies. Uh, Number three, the Holy Spirit convicts. He convicts. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This word convict in 16.8, It means to present or to expose facts or to convince someone of the truth. So Jesus is saying here that the Holy Spirit is going to do that very thing in regards to three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one who convinces people that they're sinners. He's the one who convinces people that they possess no righteousness of their own. He's the one that convinces people that one day they will stand in judgment before God due to their sin and lack of righteousness. And why does the Holy Spirit do this? Because he loves people. He wants people to see their desperate need for Jesus Christ. And he does it all to bring them into an understanding of what's true. Like he wants people to see that in Jesus, their sin issue can be resolved. That in Jesus, they can find perfect righteousness. That in Jesus, they can be delivered from eternal judgment. And some of you really need to hear that today. Because some of you put way too much pressure on yourself when it comes to convincing people of those things, right? I mean, I've tried to tell them they're sinners, but they just get mad. I I talk to them about judgment, right? I mean, heaven, hell, and people just don't want to hear it. Okay, look, that's not your job to convince people of those things. Do you want to know what your job is? 
Your job is to deliver the mail. That's it. Like you're a messenger. Your job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to love people with the same love with which you've been loved and to speak the truth of the gospel in love and in grace. That's all you do. The Holy Spirit takes it over from there. So I would say stay in your lane, all right? The Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of what's true and to bring them into salvation. That's his job, not yours. Doesn't that take a lot of pressure off knowing that? The Holy Spirit convicts. Uh, Number four, the Holy Spirit guides. He guides. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, I want you to pay close attention here because this really matters. When Jesus talks in this verse about things that are to come, he's speaking of the cross, the resurrection, his ascension, and even his future return. Remember, this conversation has taken place the night before he dies. And what Jesus knows is this, and you find the proof of it if you read this passage as a whole. Jesus knows, I could attempt to explain all those things to the disciples right now in this moment, but they're not going to get it. There's too much to understand, and they're not going to understand. And so the promise he makes is this. Guys, all these things that are about to happen to me, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will make sense of all those things for you. The Father will give him the truth you need to know, and the Holy Spirit will declare that truth to you as my followers. Now, again, the great news is the Holy Spirit still does that very thing for people in our world today concerning those God-ordained events. And so when you find yourself talking to people about the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, even Jesus' future return, the pressure can come off. It's not your job to make sense of all those things for people. It's hard to do that at times, isn't it? Your job is to tell those people, here's what happened and here's what it means. The Holy Spirit's job is to guide people into understanding what is true about all those things. And so again, that takes pressure off of us when it comes to mission. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into truth. And then finally, number five, the Spirit glorifies. The Spirit glorifies. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In this verse... Jesus is reminding us that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry. Do you guys know what a floodlight is? Yes? Big, bright light you put on the outside of your house or they're used at ball fields or stadiums, whatever. Well, here's the thing. If you're familiar with floodlighting, this will make sense. When floodlighting is done correctly, uh, you don't recognize or notice the lights at all, right? All you notice and all your attention is focused on is that building, that yard, that house, that uh, stadium, whatever it is that the light is shining upon. Well, the same is true in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Pastor J.I. Packer once said that uh, the Holy Spirit is the hidden spotlight shining upon the Savior. I love that. You see, he seeks absolutely no attention for himself. But the Holy Spirit is always behind the scenes working to do whatever it takes to shine the spotlight back onto Jesus. Why? So that Jesus would be glorified. And again, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Through you and me. That's why the Holy Spirit's always up in our business all the time. Like pointing, hey, hey, you remember this? You remember this area of your life? I still want to work on that. Hey, you know this sin you keep struggling with? I still want to free you from that. You know this area of weakness that you continue to struggle with? That's okay. If you'll just depend on me, I'll give you the strength to overcome that. He's always working behind the scenes in our lives to change us and transform us more into the image of Jesus 
so that our very lives become those lights shining back on the Savior. Now, with all that said, the question I want to close with, close this message with and the series with is this. How do we experience that help that the Holy Spirit offers us? Like, how in the world do we as people today in 2018, living in Bartow County, Georgia, Cherokee County, Paulden County, Copco, wherever you come from, how do we experience the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit? Well, as we get into our Holy Spirit series after Easter, that's coming up, don't forget that, really excited about that, uh, I'm going to give you multiple answers to that question, but today I only want to give you one answer as it relates to this series, and here's the answer. If you want to experience the power and help of the Holy Spirit, live sent. Live sent. I'll unpack what I mean, all right? I know how easy it is for people like us at times to sit through a series like this and to walk away thinking, all right, I want to get this right. I want to live my life for the glory of God, a a life that makes much of Jesus, reveals him to people who don't know him. I'm going to get this right. And so God, if you will give me everything that I need, I'll live that way. Give me all the courage I need, all the boldness I need. Give me all the words I need to speak, the knowledge I need to possess. Give me all the Bible verses I need to reference. God, if you will go first and give me what I need, I will live in obedience to this mission. Sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Can I just remind us today, that's not how faith works. Faith doesn't say to God, God, if you will give me all I need, then I will obey. No, faith says, even if I don't have all that I need, I will still obey. And God, I will obey, trusting that as I do along the way, you will give me everything that I need. You see, I find that oftentimes we as people, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, oftentimes God calls us to do something, but we're waiting on God to go first. When God's sitting back going, no, you go first. You know what you're supposed to do. I've told you to do it. And so if you'll trust in me and take that first step of faith, I will show up in your life in ways you've never experienced before. But God's waiting on us. As a church, we can't sit around and wait on him. We just have to move. And so I would say to you, you want to experience the power and the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit each day? Take a step of faith. And live in obedience to the mission of God and the Holy Spirit of God, you will start to encounter Him in ways that you've never thought possible. And that's what we're gonna pray for today as we close. That as we live out in our world as sin people, that the Holy Spirit of God would do things in us and through us that only He can do. And so, will you pray with me right now? Just heads bowed, eyes closed, all across the room. Father God, you know my heart today. God, you know my desire for our church. And I believe that the desire that I have for our church is a desire that you have burdened my heart with. A desire to see us as people walking in the power of your Holy Spirit each day. God, I pray that we would never be people content with just showing up to a building once a week singing some songs, listening to messages, and then just going about our daily life. 
And I pray that we would be people who realize that, that life is short, eternity is forever. We are in this world on mission and that we would look to your spirit that lives inside of us each and every day. God, for the power and help we need to help people who are far from you come to know you and to follow your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would be people so passionately in love with our Savior that we would want nothing more than to be filled with the power and presence of your Spirit each day so that we can be his witnesses. God, don't let us get distracted. Don't let us be easily satisfied. God, don't let us waste our lives on things that do not matter. I'm praying that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on this church. That you would pour your spirit out on your sons and daughters. That we would begin to experience you in ways that we've never experienced you before. That power would begin to characterize our lives. God, I'm praying for revival. God, that you would take the people that make up this body and that you would change this community through us for your glory that you would change the surrounding communities through us for your glory. And so, God, again, my prayer is, is simple. Help us to be people who are not only aware that your spirit is there inside of us, but who desire to walk in step with him each and every day. God, help us to be people of surrender. God, we love you so much. We are so grateful for your great love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you enjoyed the series? It's been good, hasn't it? Man. I've really enjoyed teaching through it, and, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the next several weeks as we talk more about what we've talked about today. But uh, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places before we go. So don't move just yet. Just stay put, if you will. But no, prayer team, you can move. But the rest of you, the rest of you don't move. Um, uh, first, let me just say this. If you walked into the room today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, here's the beautiful news. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And that spirit begins to change everything about you. And so I would say to you, uh, the only way to experience what we've talked about today is by first trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you need to make that decision, come and talk to one of these men and women. They would love to share with you how you can know Jesus and have your life change forever, forever, eternity included, all right? Um, for the rest of you, if you need prayer about anything going on in life, or again, maybe what you need is just a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, why don't you come and let these men and women pray over your life, if you will, all right? And then don't forget, after Easter, which is next Sunday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, we are starting this series on the Holy Spirit and so be in prayer for what's to come. I truly believe that in the coming weeks, man, we have a huge opportunity to see God work in ways in people's lives that uh, are, are um, eternally significant. So be in prayer about that. And let's ask God together to do things that only he can do, all right? Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next weekend for Easter. <laughs>